We've been going through a sermon series, and now it's that time that we get to answer our questions. Um, so we are grateful that you sent in your questions, and we'll be able to interact with them. Um, and so, yeah, so Asantini. So as mentioned before, we'll be joined by a panel this morning. Uh, and as we go on with the service, we pray that you, if you have any questions, just send in your questions through the website, menti.com, and the code is displayed on the screen, 55092741. So now to the panel for the day. Dan Oko. His parents named him Daniel Oko Onyango, but he wouldn't be mad if you just call him Oko. He's married to the lovely Isabella Muko, and they're together raising three kids, Tugi, Hera, and Gigi. He currently serves at Lovington Vineyard Church in the preaching and teaching team. And when he's not teaching the adults, he's probably teaching the kids in Sunday school. They must really enjoy it, considering he has a master's from NEGST in Bible studies. When he wants to chill and unwind, you'll most likely find him taking nature walks, reading a good book, and watching sports highlights. Dan, we're sorry you're, you're mooning in relation to the sports. His, his ultimate goal is simple, yet fundamental, to glorify God through his life. Let's offer a huge, huge welcome to Dan as he comes on stage. Um, and the next person, his name is Kevin Kongo, husband, husband of one. They have been blessed with three cats that they cherish and care for so lovingly. He's currently running a podcast dubbed I Think Different, a platform for sharing thoughts on life and faith. It's been running for up to a year now with 24, 25 episodes published so far. And it's available on all podcasts everywhere. That's I Think Different. Prior to this, he has served as a teens pastor at Parklands Baptist for five and a half years. He holds a bachelor in theology from the International Leadership University, Kenya, and is currently studying a master's in evangelism and leadership at Wheaton College in Chicago. During his free time, his interest is in art and design is expressed, as well as a little bit of watching movies and playing football. If you ask him what his greatest goal is, he says this, I hope that through my life, people will be brought closer to Christ, that skeptics of the faith will find the faith plausible, that those outside the faith would make a commitment to Jesus, and those inside the faith will be inspired to take the next step in following God. Ultimately, that many would see eternity as a result. Please help me welcome Kevin Kongo. I think we can do better. Could we just appreciate our panelists, even as they come on stage? Asantini, Asantini, for joining us today. Karibuni sana. So as we have a discussion this morning, we shall break it down into some sections. And the first section I'd like us to go into is, uh, is dubbed Christianese. So as Christians, there are things we do or we say um, that define us or portray us as Christians, maybe in how we introduce ourselves, in our greetings, you know, and in just basically in how we carry ourselves out. Um, 
So how do we break these negative cultures and replace them with Bible truths? For example, saying that um, God helps those who help themselves and, and you fail to help maybe your neighbors or the people around you. What's your take on this? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I think there are, there are two questions there. The use of Christianese language and then there is um, use of stuff which are not in the Bible, like um, God helps those who help themselves. So in, in terms of Christianese, it's, uh, it's a danger because of we, we, are, we are creatures of culture. We all come from a certain community or subculture, wherever you are, and, and the culture does things in a certain way. So if I am an, I'm new in a church, uh, and I find guys saying, hey, praise God, and hallelujah, and, and I, I will tend to want to fit into that culture. And, and so there's a danger of, of, of doing things so that I can look part and parcel of the community. But if it comes from an overflow of an understanding of the gospel, that actually um, uh, what Paul says in Acts 17, in him I move and live and have my being in him. So basically in everything I do, it is, it is because God has enabled me to do it. I am who I am by the grace of God. That's what Paul says. Then it's, it's, it, it comes out of a place of inherent response to God's goodness. So praise God. Uh, um, so th there, there are two, two kind of postures you can find yourself in. You're just doing it because this is what we do. Okay, so uh, uh, you're in church and in this church everyone speaks in tongues. So let me try and uh, speak in tongues. And stuff like that. Or it comes from a place of understanding the goodness of God. Um, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, the love of God compels us. It's, 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 all, it's, it's propelling me to do something, to praise him, to, to want to live for him, to, to say such a statement as Paul says, where he uses an, he, it's, it's an incredible statement, to live is Christ. Um, is Christ, as in he has so magnified him, he sees Christ so big that the lens of how he, he actually engages with anything in his life is through Christ. So there are those people who say praise God from actually experience, conviction, and then there are those who are just saying, uh, talking Christianese because of, hey, it's, it's so I can look part and parcel and fit in. That's the first question. The second part of using things which are not in the Bible is to again, center, um, if, if it's a church setting, center the church on scripture, on scripture. Second Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training uh, the man or woman in God so that they might be fully equipped for every good work, fully equipped. So, um, there is no, the equipping of the saints is through this book. Um, and again, what um, another, let this I'll just have to read it. Second Peter chapter 1. Sorry, I borrowed this Bible. It's, it's colorful and new. It's from <laughs> Pastor Judy. Thank you. I forgot mine. This fallen person I am. Um, an interesting thing, Paul, I mean, Peter says, uh, chapter 1 verse 16 for we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Who is he's referring to what? The transfiguration, right? When it was Peter and James and I think John and they had this incredible experience, right? Of, of, of just God the Father coming in a cloud and there's Elijah here and then this guy and Moses is there, amen, and it's incredible. But listen to what he says after. Uh, we ourselves had this voice. So he's, he's actually saying, this is, this is, we experienced this. I was there. I was there. I was there. Miss Kuskia from anyone. I was there. So this voice came from heaven when we were with him and on the sacred mountain. Listen to this. We also have the prophetic message. What is the prophetic message? This book. This book. We, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. He's basically comparing if you were there at the transfiguration and you have this book, none is better. None is better. And, and he goes on to say, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Meaning, in comparison to any level, any other strata of truth you have, uh, culture, science, whatever, they are all, compared to this thing, they are darkness and this is light. So um, when we, most of us struggle, want to hear from God first, and we want a, a, a voice from heaven, basically, which is good to desire. This is God's voice here. As he goes on to say, actually, this is God's breath. It's Theonustos. It's, it's breathed by God himself. And he says it's a light. Uh, it's the only light we have to guide us to truth. And we, if you want to know it is true, every time in scripture and in history, the church or the people of Israel departed from this book, chaos happened. Look at the, the if you look at First Kings and Second Kings, uh, if you read the story after um, the death of Solomon, uh, there's a repeated phrase, and they did not bring down, they kept worshipping in the high places, they kept worshipping in the high places, they kept worshipping in the high places. 400 years of doing that until Josiah comes and he rediscovers what? the Pentateuch. And he shocked, man, this, we are not following God's word. And he calls the people back to repentance and he brings down all the high places. Look at Ezra's time. Ezra was there. Well, he went back to this. He reformed it with what? With this thing. Look to the time of um, uh, 15th, 14th century when the Catholic Church was saying, man, the only way to get closer to God is paying arms. What did Martin Luther do? He went and pinned the 95 says and said, man, that is not true. Let's go back to the book. And that's when we get that quote of sola scriptura, scripture alone, not scripture in anything else, not tradition, not anything else will, shall, should come close to this word. So bring back the people who are saying um, um, God helps those who help themselves. Let us then look, look at the scriptures and see if that is true. Mm. That was our service for today. Thank you for coming. That was a sermon in itself. Um, we'll probably um, go to the next um, segment, and it's about um, African culture. So Christianity comes in, and it finds a culture within, and then now they have to figure this thing out. And so one of the questions that came in, um, I guess I'll address this to Kevin first, is are there any practices
from traditional marriage ceremonies that are good and are not in conflict with the Bible that we can keep. Okay. Um, first and foremost, good morning, Nairobi Chapel. Morning. Abington, good morning. Um, if you can see me, I'm very old school. Just wave your hand so I know that we are together. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Judy. Thank you, Ngatia. Thank you, Razia. I hope I'm saying it well. It's Razia. Yes, thank you. Um, so, yes, that question. Now, for me to co comprehensively answer the question, I would have to know each and every culture, <laughs> which I don't. So I'll just give one or two principles. I think number one is anything, I'll come from the negative, anything that you know does not honor God within that culture. And, of course, uh, Dan has just told us just now, our standard, our basis is always the word of God. So you cannot skip over that. The only way to evaluate what honors God in your culture is to actually know the word. And um, I would also say we know, especially like from my own culture, there's a lot of things that are done to invoke the name of another God, um, be it prayers, be it sacrifices, and so on and so forth during those times. Stay away from those things as well because the word of God tells us clearly, you shall have no other gods before, before me and any action you do to indicate that shows that you do not believe what God is saying so I would come from the negative and say stay away from those and then within your culture as you evaluate you'll find lots of good things so for example I am here with my wife uh, Nema please stand pressure <laughs> uh, there she is yes it is with her that we own the three lovely cats so um <laughs> We've been married four and a half years now. Um, I'm doing the man thing of forgetting. Five years in April shall be our, our fifth uh, anniversary. And during our wedding, uh, during the whole process, we learned a lot of things within our cultures that were good. We learned how certain things that we had been told before, we just saw them different. We learned how even things like negotiation done well, is, you know, it's a game. It's a game between the older men, you know, and sometimes you'd approach it with a different feeling and, and with different stories that you've had or maybe a different experience that you had. But even during our own process, we were able to look and learn things that were actually honoring to our parents. And I think some of those things need to be kept, especially when it comes to marriage and funerals. There are things that are honoring to our parents. And the word of God tells us, honor thy father and mother. So I feel that balance could get you somewhere good, yeah. Asante. Thank you. Uh, I think what I get from that is African culture is not bad in its entirety. It's just a balance of, of the practices that are honoring. Um, so my next question is on the Old Testament. Uh, the church today seems to want to live, to live under the grace of God but we still hold on to some practices or beliefs from the Old Testament. And it's like a selective application of what we want when it suits us. What's your take on that? Yeah, it, yeah it's also a broad stroke uh, question, because then we have to look at what, what are they specifically referring to uh, and which church and, and what are these things they're holding on to in the Old Testament coming on to the new. I think also it's, it's just that tension of how, how do we reconcile the two books? Um, are we under the law? Are we supposed to live? Um, what does living under grace mean? Uh, at least that's, that's a point for, from where I can come to, come across from. 
Um, so I would say that we are saved by grace through faith. But um, Galatians 5, I think verse 6 tells us faith works itself through love. And, and, and the whole thing that James addresses in James chapter 2 is your faith has to, it, yes, it, it's, it has a, an essence, sort of. It, it's, um, it shows itself in a certain way, right? Um, and by showing itself in that certain way, it, it then fulfills, in a sense, what the Old Testament was all about. Um, if, you are, if you are to read the... We'll go to Galatians 5 again. Sorry. Um, where's Galatians? Bible, Bible training now. If you don't have your phone, look for it. It's a, between which book? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Hey. Bible scholar there. Read your so yeah, Galatians 5. Um what Paul says, uh, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So that's the, the New Testament calling, right? We are free from the condemnation of the law, right? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So yes, you can be, hey, I'm free from the Old Testament, yay. But uh, are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? And Paul goes on to, yeah, he, he differentiates the one who is walking in the spirit and the one who is walking in the flesh. So um, if I understand what Christ has done, like the, the argument of the whole book of Romans is we are all, con we are all condemned, right? And then you have, you have been saved by grace alone. And then he asks in Romans 6, then are we then, can we do whatever you want? It means we have not understood it. We've not understood it then. Um, so he, the whole argument is that I am so loved, that, no, I am so wicked. Yes, I'm so wicked that Christ died for me. Yet at the same time, I'm so loved that Christ died for me. We, we live in that tension of what the, new, uh, what the new covenant calls us to. And therefore, it should compel me to love God more than anything. It's, it's uh, what Matthew 22, where Christ is asked by these Pharisees, what's then the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For this is the first and the greatest, right? First and greatest. And then the second is uh, like to it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's um, how we, I, I will reconcile the two is, yes, we are not, as detailed as the, or the, new, the Old Testament, yet we are called even to a higher standard because we are loved by God and we are free from that condemnation. So for example, uh, I can hear, I do not commit adultery, isn't it? Okay, so I have my wife, so I'm not sleeping with anyone, so I'm cool. Ah, then I go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 tells me as a husband, husband, Ephesians 5.25, love your wife as Christ loved the church and died for gave himself up for her, cleansing her by the washing of the word. The standard is much higher. It's not just I am not being adulterous. It's am I loving my wife? You see, so it's, um, there's a continuity which I see um, which frees us from 
feeling bad about ourselves because we can't lose, we are justified in Christ. Um, so we are free from that condemnation. But at the same time, because he loves us so much, we are compelled to live our lives in light of what he has done. Maybe I could just ask a follow-up question with regard to that. Maybe how could we get to distinguish um, what to keep? Uh, mainly because I might go through Deuteronomy and then I find a passage that's saying, uh, don't wear like clothes made of two fabrics. And then I'm like, shucks. Then I have to go to my wardrobe and like figure out which fabric this is. And I'm So how do we get to know um, how best to look at that pas such passages? Because I bet in January or February, Tukifanya Bible through the year, we'll find them. Okay, I guess I can take this one. Um, how many lawyers are in the house? Hello? I don't know if you can get a microphone to them or if this is me now trying to run the service. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe just by a show of hands, are there any laws that sound weird if you don't really look into the meaning based within Kenyan law or international law? So yes, hand up, no hands down. They are, isn't it? Okay, so I'll, I'll make my point. I would have wanted you to get a break and tell us one, uh, maybe later on, but my point is there's, there's something that comes from studying especially laws deeper than the surface that teaches you either an underlying principle or teaches you basically what was important for a particular context. And so you'll find that if you go to Deuteronomy and study many of the laws that talk about dress code or healthcare or how to live with your neighbors and things like those, there's an underlying principle or something about that context. It can only be discovered by studying the word of God and therefore, you'll be able to apply it or translate it properly to today. And so again, we can't get beyond going into God's word and spending time studying it. Because if we don't, we actually give the surface thing. And the surface thing ends up becoming a tradition. That years later, you're trying to wind back. And you're trying to figure out, why do we do this? But it's because you never went deeper. So we have to go deeper. I think that'd be a great thing for a discipleship class. Um, or even an apologetics class, sometimes they go into those things. And so you have to go deep there and find out what was it. Is it really the two cloths or was it something to do with the heat and health in the time of, of what, what was it, 1000 BC, 1500 BC, yeah. yeah. Sorry, can I chime in a bit? Um, also, just to add on what, what Kevo has said. Um, Kevo, I call Kevo. It's, it's easy. Yeah, Kevo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the the laws of the Old Testament are in three levels, right? So there's the the Ten Commandments of Exodus nine, and then we have the civil laws, which were so many, there are six hundred and something, and then we have the ceremonial laws, right? Um, so the civil laws were all these two things you needed to do because if you did not do it, you could not go into the temple. The, the before the presence of God. And, and I love that you did uh, Mark chapter 7, right? And there, it's what were the Pharisees all mad about? It's, hey, you guys are not washing your hands, man. What, what's going on here? And, and there's a commentary Mark says there that in doing, when he says only the things that come out defile, Christ sort of abolished all the clean laws. You know how big that is? The clean laws are those things. If, uh, if I go and touch a dead dog, I cannot go into the sanctuary. If you're a woman and you had menstruation, you cannot go into the sanctuary. All those things were to 
remind us of the holiness of God. You do not come just, you don't just come before God, right? So the whole these clean laws, these nice things and stuff. And the, and the New Testament tells us all the clean laws were fulfilled by him, right? He, he, he did away with them, the clean laws, right? Um, that's why, for example, um, I want another ex example of the clean laws. Okay, my mind has gone haywire, blank. But the civil laws now, that's why the, the whole contention of the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 15 is that, okay, so do these new Gentiles need to become like us? And the leaders of the church say, no, uh, no, 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 no. We are saved by faith through faith alone. We do not have to be Jewish in culture to be Christian, right? And that's the whole argument of Galatians also. That's one of the arguments in the book of Hebrews because I want to go back to sacrificing animals. And the, he gives five warnings in the book of Hebrews. If you add to Christ, man, you are, you're messing yourself up because he is enough. He does away with the clean laws. And he does away with the civil laws. And he fulfills the Ten Commandments. And therefore, now we have the commandment of love God and love your neighbor. Those are, those are how the Christian is supposed to walk. Um, which now frees us from the, 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 uh, what you're saying. Like they were supposed to build parapets on their roof. Because that's an architectural thing. It was hot in the ancient Near East uh, land. And they used to have roofs where so people used to sleep on top of the roof, like parts of uh, Isiolo now if you go, sometimes you can sleep outside. So you needed to build a parapet so that people don't fall. So how can you come and then start doing that now here? Th that's a more cultural thing than it is a thing you're supposed to obey. Thank you so much for your responses. Um, we've got a number of questions just asking about um, when we were reading from the passage in Mark, there's a passage that says, in keeping with the traditions of men, you have nullified the word of God. And there are people who are on that second part. They're just wondering, why isn't the church as um, powerful, as authentic as it was in the days of old? Um, I, I don't know if you want to chime in on that. It's a loaded question. Um, I don't think we, we can finish that one. Um, and one thing I'm glad about this series, I watched Pastor Judy's sermon from last week, and she talked about how learning these things will take a while. I think she said almost to 2025. And so I'm glad, and I would encourage all of us to have that mindset, because the world is changing. Um, things are changing at a very, very fast level and in all sectors. Um, when you say, just read back to me, the church is not as powerful as authentic. Are those the two words used? Yes. It's loaded because then what is power and what is authenticity? Um, I, I would surmise, I would guess that whoever asked that question is wondering why maybe like in the political realm in our country of Kenya, the church doesn't feel as vocal or as strong or as, it doesn't feel like a moral force. I would, I would think that that's probably where it's coming from. Um, I would also say that for those who consider themselves more world citizens, they feel like you know, whenever you look out at places where the world is interacting, the church is not held in high regard, you know, and people don't necessarily want to hear from the church. Um, if, if anything, we are looked at as the people holding the world back, isn't it? And yet, a few hundred years ago, um, that was a very different story. I would say this, starting with the world and coming back, I think the Bible is, is very clear about how um, we interact with the world. 
its attention. We are to not only take Christianity to transform our families and cultures as Christ instructs us, but we are also to um, function as pilgrims being pulled out of those cultures and communities. And so we always live as Christians in this tension between are we trying to change and engage culture or are we trying to make sure that the culture does not defile us? And it's attention and it is, it is deliberate. That is how God wants us to live. There are some days we are to try and change things and the other days where we are to say, okay, fine, you do that, but we will not. It is not all things all the time. And a, a beautiful example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus was a very transformational, or let me not use that word because I think it's overused sometimes, it makes it watered down, but he was a revolutionary leader and thinker for, for the Jews. He was. When someone stands up and says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But truly I tell you, you know, if someone steals your, what did he say, someone steals something, give them your, your coat. If someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two extra miles. He was challenging the very laws that they were given, like you were saying, from laws that have held them together for thousands of years, he challenged. And not only did he challenge them, but he won the battle for their hearts and minds at a point. Because at a point in Christ's life, they were willing to follow this guy to overthrow the Romans. They thought our political leader has come. You know, the whole story of, of Palm Sunday. Um, Hosanna in the highest, and they're laying palms down. And what does that mean? It's the entry of a king. They're telling him, we are ready to go with you against them. We will follow you. And Jesus walks in on a donkey saying, no, this is not why I've come. You know, the donkey signified peace. Had he come in on a horse, different story. And so he was that type of a leader to them, to the Jews. But do you notice how also he would point to their religious leaders and, and he tell his disciples, do as they say, don't do as they do. Don't be like them. And so you have this part where he's trying to change Jewish culture and you have this other part where he's telling them, leave where the culture is going and stay pure. It's attention. And so sometimes what you might see as a lack of power or authority is maybe just a, a time and space where what God requires from the church is not necessarily to change or transform or bargain or shout. He just requires you, don't do that. Keep yourself pure from that. Speaking for those now with regards to, to Kenya, I do think that God is really challenging us. Um, the statistics are there, they are sobering, they're not the best. We are supposed to be how many Christians? 80%, isn't it? 80% of 50 million. That's a lot of Christians. Um, but we know statistics concerning corruption. A third of our GDP, isn't it? Two billion a day. Um, we know statistics now, unfortunately, concerning our use of uh, the online spaces. We are, I think we were voted fourth most toxic country on Twitter, isn't it? No one is celebrating that. No one. <laughs> no one. Yeah? And you're sort of wondering, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, where are you? Where are thou? You know, I think God is challenging us. And I, sometimes when I think about Kenya, I think about the books of Amos and the books of Isaiah. In the book of Amos, God is calling out different nations, including uh, Israel, for sins they have done. And there's all sorts of sins there. There's war crimes, there's, there's, there's slavery, there's how you've treated the poor, and so on and so forth. And I think through that and wonder, is God not trying to make us stand up a bit more in our own spaces? Because the truth is, we are not standing. If we are honest with ourselves, we really aren't standing. 
and the few of us who do stand, we do not support them. So I think in terms of Kenya, God is uh, um, what's the word? provoking us, prompting us to be a little bit more active. Does it mean being necessarily an activist? I'm not sure. What it does mean is that we must look at the Bible and look at ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, if true religion is to take care of widows and the poor, how much do I do that? Or are my prayers on Sunday still, God, that Range Rover, that Range Rover, that Range Rover, you know? Um, how much are we doing the stuff that even the old believers were known for in Acts 2? You know, and I, I love the, the initiative here. I love what you said, Pastor Judy, about, you know, you can call these guys and one of the ways you can help them is by building their business. You can buy them this or you can buy them that. In Acts 2, um, believers sold their possessions. Do you know how crazy that is? That we all stand in this room and say, who's not doing well? Hire. Tunauza, and we split it. That is, even in terms of economics, it's crazy. But we need to do it ourselves. And I think the thing that keeps us from doing so is we need to interrogate how much do we really trust God, how much do we really believe him to go that far, you know? And it's not easy, but he's, he's never promised it anything he asked us would be easy. Um, he just tells us to trust him. So that'd be my answer to that question. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, I like the breath along which you've come with. And as we go and if you have any questions, please remember to send them in through the website, Menti. The code should be displayed on the screen. So along that breath that you've come with, um, why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? I, I'm, you've described what um, the revolutionary leader that Jesus was and what he did like at that time, but why? Why, why did Jesus come? I don't know if, Dan, you can take that and then Kevin can chime in. Um, yeah, that's a strange question. Uh, I think the Bible is very clear. It's called the, it's a big word, pers perspicuity of the Bible. It's clear in terms of the redemptive story, who God is, who we are, and where he's taking us. But it's not a scientific book. It's not a book of, uh, it's not even a history book per se. It's not a law book. It's a story. That's the main thing. A and therefore, it doesn't answer many things about some of this stuff because the big word there is the sovereignty of God in all things. Um, his timing, how he does things, how it's, there are some things which his thoughts are not our thoughts. So that's my first, I think, my first response. And, and how will it help us anyway if we were to know that? In terms of my, will I make it, will it make me love God more? Uh, my neighbor? Uh, will I be saved more? I, I don't know how, I guess it's just a curiosity thing, which is okay. Um, but second is, actually, study has shown, um, is it, yeah, from first AD, when the time Christ was, uh, all BC to around first AD, um, he died around 30, 34, um, is, if you look at the population after, before and after, it's like, the it's over 90% of the population of of, of the world happened after first century AD. So the population was very small before when you start going down BC and going backwards and backwards and backwards. Because of course um, uh, there were mightier empires and there was more prosperity and of course as we go on people started living longer and longer and longer and longer. Um, 
until now. So like 90% of, of human beings who've ever lived, lived after uh, first century AD. So maybe because, yeah, that's, it was an opportune time to capture most of, of um, the population of the world. But again, yeah, why not the other guys before? We have the Old Testament and people who are, if you read the book of Hebrews, there's faith. They, they please God through their faith. Um, so as much as Christ's blood is the one which still redeems everyone back and forth, um, that is helpful for me in terms of, okay, so it was an opportune time because most people lived after that. So his message was more, in a sense, effective because it will capture more people. Yeah. Yeah, just to, to chime in on that as well. Um, like Dan says, the redemptive story, you know, Christ came to reveal God to us in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, and then also, you know, dying for our sins on the cross. But even the physical action of dying, you know, when you read certain parts of Psalms and Revelation, it's like there was almost a spiritual action that was done before of sorts, you know. Uh, not necessarily different in time, just different in sphere. Because David sees the lamb who was slain thousands of years before Jesus, Jesus comes, you know. Um, so you have you have um, that redemptive story which is clear, but in terms of why it was just the right time, and I forget a couple of the verses, but there's two verses I know in the New Testament that talk about at just the right time Christ died for us. Um, I've heard uh, what you're saying about uh, most of the population. I've heard that in Bible school. I also heard that um, you know, when Christ came, there was the beginnings of what would look like a world form of, of language, of of a global, what would basically be the, the, if you can call them the, the foundations of the pillars of a world, um, of globalization or of a world culture. So if you think about it, like even some of the laws we draw on today, uh, democracy came from which particular culture, isn't it? You know, so there was the beginnings of all that, and especially the language. Um, there was a language called Koine Greek, which was Kawaida Greek for everyone. It was probably one of the first real uh, languages spoken by most of the known world, by a, a variety of people in Asia, Europe, and in the Middle East. And so even the presence of that language made it easy for the disciples when Jesus left. That's why he was able to tell them, go to the ends of the earth. Because you, you know a language where you will be, you will be understood. They speak the same thing. So there is a lot of intelligence and intentionality in the physical time he came. Um, but like Dan says as well, we don't know why he didn't come today and just open a Twitter account or a YouTube page. It have reached billions of people. So we don't know for sure, but there does seem to be some intentionality in why. Yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> we have a few questions from uh, the website um, and I'll throw it to you guys. So one is just in relation to what we are talking about, about cosmic events. So one of them says, um, Satan was once God's friend. He rebelled and God made his people and the church as a separation from the influence of Satan. But why can't Satan repent and reconcile to God? Wow, okay, that's a... <laughs> it's quite a question. Um, again, the Bible doesn't go into depth about the fall of Satan. So people quote Ezekiel and stuff like that. This star we fell from heaven, people say it's him. And it might be him, but it might also be a king in the ancient Near East. But it does say he is condemned completely. Um, 
in the sense of uh, all of us, in a sense, uh, fell after after Adam fell, he became Second uh, Corinthians four four, the God of this world, the, the Prince of the Power of the Air, Ephesians two. Uh, he has influence. In a sense, he's the one who kind of um, tempts us to the directions we want. These idols we put up in our lives, be it ourselves or money or sex or whatever it is. He's the one who basically is at the core of all cultures and, and the core of all human um, worldviews. So he's very heavily involved in our own um, sort of pathway, the, the large path where we are taking ourselves to damnation. But his fall, if you, the, his fall is, is quite different, which the Bible does not address much. That, that if, if people, if um, there are speculations, but at their best, there are speculations. But his fall seems like it was, is, it's like the fall of Hebrews 6. Uh, where in the presence of, 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 of you've witnessed, you've fellowshiped with the Spirit, you've, 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 you've seen the goodness of God, and all these things have happened. The, the Hebrew writer states like five, six things. Then you still draw back from God. Then you have, there's no backsliding there. You have gone. You've fallen away completely. Right? And, and Hebrews 9, is it, or 10, Esau, who, when he sought repentance, he could not find it. Not that he was trying to repent and repent, repent. He could not repent. Right? Um, and the same to Judas himself. Judas was in the best Bible study. Judas was taught by Christ. Judas performed miracles. Judas is the epitome of Matthew chapter 7. The ones, Lord, 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 so we have done these things for you. We've done these things. What does Christ say? I never knew you. Not that I knew you and then you walked away. I never knew you at all. Right? So the devil seems to fit that category of in the presence of the majesty of God, the character of God, and all these things happening, he still found a way of rebelling against him. Right? As we are not, um, as you know, the devil is still the prince of the power of the air, and he's still, our, our sinning is not just, it's influenced by him himself. And also our own the brokenness, the sinful nature we got from, from Adam. So that's why his condemnation is um, complete. And I would actually say, um, when Christ talks about those who blaspheme the, ho the, the Holy Spirit of God, it's an unforgivable sin, right? In the sense of what the Spirit supposed to do, it's supposed to convict us of of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this keeps happening to you and you, and you keep uh, in a sense, refusing that witness. It, it, it's it's God's prerog prerogative and his own sovereignty that he reaches a point where you cannot repent anymore. Because the spirit, if, if the spirit stops drawing you, you cannot come. You cannot come. Right? So I think the devil falls within that category. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, th I think a, a little bit differently about it. So let me explain. Um, there's, there's a slant in the Bible where Paul, I forget which, verse, which uh, book it is, but he's talking about, you know, what is it to you if God decides that some things he makes should be objects of wrath? And it's not a very nice verse to read, but he's asking a fundamental question, and I've always understood it this way. You know your favorite movie? 
there's a good person and there's a bad there's a bad person who decided that there'd be a good person and a bad person the script writer sindio director whoever those people decided there's a good person and there's a bad person do we sometimes feel bad for the bad person yes does the story work without the bad person no does the script writer have full control over the movie yes director yes producer yes it's their movie it's their story that they're trying to tell and so it's not the best way to think about it because then we think god is inherently mean but if you think about it in terms of stories um good stories always have that dilemma between good and evil this is god's story and this is who he has chosen to be the bad guy in in the story but to sort of save god face which i can't but from that comment to save god face i also look at it this way god is a creator who is extremely benevolent with autonomy in what he creates i mean look at yourself you've got tons and tons of choices in bible school you were taught free will i don't like to say it that way because it gives an idea of absolute freedom i don't think we are absolutely free um if you are free right now appear on mars um did you try <laughs> to appear on mars no you can't so i don't feel like we are absolutely free but i feel like god gives us tons and tons of choices to a level of autonomy that even we do not give the things that we create um you know those of you who follow technology now know about artificial intelligence maybe then those things will have autonomy like we do but god has given autonomy to so much of what he has created you see it in 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 every every just look look up look there's so much autonomy and the thing about god is he also exists um in eternity time he doesn't exist within time so he sees the fulfillment of all things if god tells us within time that this being that he created that has autonomy is going to be completely rebellious then we trust him and it's and so sometimes i see it not just as a devil being unable um to repent i also see it as a devil himself choosing not to repent and god allowing that choice we know from the book of job that the devil is allowed to even walk into god's courts you know ezekiel will 28 will say as if he was cast down if you take it for him but in the book of job he walks in he actually walks in with the other angels like there's no restrictions and so if that's true and he has that access and he goes to god and he asks god for whatever he wants and all he's asking god for is to punish job to 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 destroy him he's challenging job's worship of god that's it the devil had free reign with christ jesus he knew why jesus was here he didn't ask you know forgive me save me give me another chance no he came and said even you god in the flesh i want to show you how fake you are turn this bread turn this uh, stones to bread worship me i'll give you the kingdoms of this world and so you have an autonomous being choosing time after time after time after time again to rebel against god and that's why i believe the bible talks about um i think it's a book of revelation that you know we i may be paraphrasing but we won't be able to challenge god and say you are not just with who he chooses to punish and who he chooses to save for eternity in the end like we will look at all the decisions we will look at who's here in heaven who's not there and everyone will be like you're just and that applies as well when with regards to satan and it always gives me this call for okay when me with my choices am i choosing to follow god every single day every single moment or what am i doing um asanteni sana um would like maybe to hear a parting shot from you guys anything you'd like just to leave our congregation with 
Um, parting shot. Uh, I think I'll talk about the gospel first. Um, I think the gospel is primary to us um, understanding how to be effective, to be to experience transformation and stuff like that. Um, yes, it's the door. First Corinthians 15, you know, that Christ died for us according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. But also it's 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 what empowers our sanctification. What how we not only get the righteousness which is imputed, which is just God calls you just because you believed in Christ, but also the righteousness which is imparted, where we actually become more and more Christ-like. And, and I will challenge us as I challenge myself to grasp the gospel more and more and more. Because if you, if you look at scripture itself, it seems from after Christ died, it seems the gospel is the one which compels Paul used, for example, to compel everything, um, not the law anymore. Like marriage, look at Christ. Right? So you want to understand marriage? Understand Christ's leadership as a husband. Understand Christ's submission as a wife. If you want to understand uh, giving, 2 Corinthians 8, look at Christ how he gave. If you want to understand um, what? Unity in the church, look at Christ himself. So he was pointing us back to him. So my challenge for us is the more we understand it, the more it will compel us. Because the question I ask myself, do I believe it is good news? Do I believe it's good news? So I can say it's good news. I can come and tell you it's good news. But do, is it fundamentally something in me which is, oh my goodness, do you know Kenya's, we can sort Kenya's problem. Imagine if you could sort our financial issues. It, it's here with Kevo. Kevo has the money. Eh, see, that's, that's very good news. But for, for the challenge for me and for all of us is let it stop being just mental and okay, something which I had and I believe in, but something I am totally convicted for. Because then it's, it's much easier to understand what Paul says. Then the love of Christ compels me. It compels me, it compels me, it compels me to go out, to share, to live differently. Because I've always struggled with... Uh, like David's words, Psalm 51, he sinned against who? With the, the husband. Yeah? He was called who? Uriah. Yeah, Uriah and the wife. But he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. God alone. How is that possible? Do you grab, grapple with what sin is, your fallenness, grapple with the love of Christ, grapple with the grace that he has given us, that he, in the coming ages, Ephesians chapter 2, he will show us his loving kindness. Right? Um, and two is what um, I guess you guys have been covering. Um, on meeting together, as much as it is possible to you, even the guys who are watching. So you yourself, look at your own motivations of not gathering as a church. Right? They are very legitimate ones. I was just saying earlier, man, if I'm, even before COVID, if I was sick, if I had like a tummy run, I will stay home. So it's, those are legitimate reasons, right? If I have, I'm working in Lodwa, of course, what, what do you want me to do? But if it's fear, if it's a place of comfort, if it's a consumerism thing, I can turn it off and turn it on. I can watch 10 minutes and watch, not watch the other, right? 
then how do we fulfill the, the, the one another commandments, imperatives of the New Testament? Confess your sin to one another. Um, spur one another to good works, right? Meet and sing hymns to the Lord. How do we fulfill all those things if there's no gathering, right? And the lastly, how do we deal with the Hebrews 10 warning then? Those who neglect the gathering together of the believers, then he goes on to a ridiculous warning. And he says, actually, God is a consuming fire. Because we cannot, we are built for community. Christ, our God is a community, is Trinity. He calls us into a community to become one with him, John 17. Then he tells us it should lead to us being one, being a body, being family. So I'm really also grateful for what Kevo mentioned, what you guys are doing. This is family. Like, hey, guys, is, uh, are guys also, are these guys, how's your financial life? How's your marriage? How's whatever? So it's not just because I want to be curious. It's because I actually care. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. Sante. Uh, so my, my parting shot would be similar. Um, number one, like he said, the gospel. Always, always, always. The good news about Jesus, the redemption story, how God creates, how mankind falls, how God initiates a plan, how that plan is fulfilled through Christ and what it means for eternity. Please never leave those behind. Never, ever, ever, ever leave those behind. You will do well to study and reflect on those things for the rest of your life because it's good news, like he says, it's a blessing. To give a parting shot on what you're discussing now, um, I just want to start with an encouragement that the shift that you're feeling as a church is a shift that is being felt everywhere, in every sector. And I, if we had time, you know, you guys would tell me how you feel it in your sector, but like, I'll give a very small example, it's a parting shot, but a very small example with my wife. My wife is in HR, and the company that she works for and a couple of other companies have been experiencing something that in HR in the world was only thought to be happening in North America, but it's happening here as well. It's called the Great Resignation. It's that people, yes, actually called the Great Resignation. It's that people um, discovered during the pandemic, I can work remotely, so I have more choices for jobs. And employers discovered we can actually employ people who do not have to come to the office, so we have a higher pool of people to hire from. And so, in many companies in North America, they've experienced that. In some companies in Kenya as well, you've just been getting resignation. Maybe you're one of those, and now you know the movement you're part of. At the end of service, you can turn to your neighbor and say, I am a great resigner, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's just a small example. Every single sector, education, healthcare, and you realize there are no quick fixes. And so if everyone is struggling to figure out what life looks like at this point, why would not the church as well? Your struggle is not your own. It is every human being's currently. It is every church, no matter what they look like, no matter how they look like, everyone is trying to figure out what does life look like after this pandemic. So because you're not alone in that struggle, take it on with enjoyment. Take it on with like a new challenge, like there's something new coming. In fact, in my heart, what God placed just as I walked on stage was, you know how the Israelites left Egypt in dramatic fashion, 400 years of slavery in a couple of months and weeks, you're out, and now you're free. And there's a sense of, you know, um, 
we, we only know slavery. You know, even at some point they're telling Moses, you brought us out, out here to die, you'd have left us there, they had onions. If you are complaining about not having onions, um, yeah, if they were in Kenya, they would not have complained about not having onions. Yeah. So they were complaining about what they knew. Um, but here was God saying, I'm trying to take you from onions to a place that has milk and honey. I'm trying to take you from a place where you're rationed your onions to a place where you'll grow your own. And it didn't seem like that in the wilderness. But that's what he kept trying to pass on to them. And that's why, you know, the sin that kept the Israelites in the desert was not any of the things they did. And they did everything. They broke all the Ten Commandments. The one that kept them there was the complaining, the murmuring. That's what got to God. Because for God, it was, okay, so you guys don't understand what I'm doing. I'm going to have to wait for your children to do it with them. You just don't seem to get it. So my encouragement to you guys is to be like that second generation, that Joshua generation, who looked at the promised land from the desert and said, yeah, we can get there. And, and I hear from Pastor Judy, your promised land is a place where you're in community, you're in discipleship, you're growing, you love one another, and, and you're involved with one another. And that's a good place to be, isn't it? Especially in this world where we are so isolated nowadays. We are stuck behind screens. We are not really known. Yeah? But this, this is the place she wants you to get. This is the place I pray for all Kenyan churches to get. Even to begin to tackle other problems together. That's your promised land. So go after it. And as you go after it, do not be scared of inquiring. Don't be scared of what saying, what if we stop doing this means. Because the truth of the matter is everything you see on stage here that we do for worship today, if Paul came back, this is foreign to him, extremely foreign. And I could guarantee you there are some things he might have a problem with. Does it mean he's right? Not necessarily. Does he mean he's wrong? Not necessarily. But you have to leave it up to questions and keep answering those questions as time goes on. And don't worry. The Lord says he is with, he's with you. Isn't that what the worship team said? Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am your God. So God is with you. I pray that you make it to beautiful community post-pandemic that brings people to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Asanteni sana sana for your elderly and brotherly advice, um, exhortation. We really appreciate your presence. You deciding to make the time just to minister to this congregation here, Santeni Sana. Um, I'll just invite um, Pastor Judy to close off the service. But as, a, as we all go off on stage, could we just appreciate our panelists um, for the j good job that they've done. I think we can do better. Let's appreciate these dear ones. It's not easy to sit here and not know which question might come your way and still be able to do such a good job. Once more, we appreciate you, Kevin and Dan. Thank you for the blessing that you are to the kingdom of God and thank you for sharing that with us today. I just want to invite us to stand as we close the service. Um, this series lasted three Sundays and... Um, just like Kevin has said, you are having these conversations in your sector of society, but there's one overarching mountain and sector of society that is church and religion from where we align ourselves. And that's why we call this series the Jesus Culture. Because when we understand what God is doing and how he wants this mountain 
of church and religion to position itself then everything else will flow out of that so i pray that as we continue to have this conversation that god is going to build your own convictions it's okay if this series leaves you with questions more than answers because it means we have begun a journey where we can go back to scripture and continue finding solutions uh, for spaces and things that god is asking us to engage with so as we close the service, I just want to remind us of a scripture that God gave us at the beginning of the year when we launched our theme back to basics. And this is the story of Jesus attending a wedding and there was a crisis. And uh, the Martha comes to him and starts telling him we need to do something. And even though Jesus didn't appear like he had committed to solve that problem at that point, the mother went to the servants and told, told them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. These people went ahead. Jesus told them, go and get water. They went and got water. Bring it to me. And then he told them, fetch some of that and take to the people in the party. And the wine, their wine crisis had been solved, which meant a lot for that culture because weddings were celebrated for a very long time. And we've gone through a season of a crisis, pandemic, that is the COVID-19. It has disrupted so many things. And we are here asking questions from, again, no matter where you find yourself. But God told us, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So he might not give us answers that will give us everything. But even if Jesus asks you to do the most strange thing, why are you asking me to fetch water? And then why are you asking me to get part of that water and take it to someone? You know... It's crazy to obey such a thing because it doesn't make sense if you reason with that, you know, whatever uh, it is that Jesus asked them to do. But in their co cooperating with the words of Christ, in their obeying with and doing what they did not understand, a miracle happened in that space. God is about to do great things. But he wants us to be able to trust him even when he asks us to do things that we don't understand because our obedience matters. And so as you go into a new week, we pray that God will give you that courage. Courage in the times that we are living in is being able to take the word of God and leave it out wherever he has placed you. Because sometimes it looks crazy and it doesn't make sense. There's something we said last Sunday before I pray. Allow me to read it for us. We said that the bottom line is that the most significant issues in the law were lost in the trivial details of Pharisaic tradition. Any system that is governed by rules will ultimately fail. This is how we've always done it, so we, we can't let it go. Um, only in the New Testament and in the teachings of Christ do we see that it's the mercy of God which leads us unto repentance. And this is why we've been talking about the Jesus culture. So in Christ, we have everything. And so I pray that as we go into a new week, may the Lord guide you and lead you. May he reveal yourself anew. May he manifest May as you ask him questions, may the Lord show up. May he bring scripture your way that will help you interpret what he's doing around you. Father, we thank you because you've been a faithful God across generations. You have said that you will watch over your word to perform it. Even when we are full of questions, we thank you because it's a form of worship. We see it across 
scripture where you ask people questions but they also ask you questions in the book of Psalms and today in whatever and spaces that you have placed us in we may have more questions than answers wondering how to lead the people who are in our teams or how to remain to be part of a team in a time that looks so strange that we thank you because you are the constant in all this and so as we continue to hold on to you you will lead us and you will guide us and that's where our confidence is and that God whatever you ask us to do however strange however new however difficult it seems we will do because we choose to honor you we choose to align ourselves to the Jesus culture above every other culture all for the glory and honor of your holy name and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray and give thanks and the church said and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you and have a lovely week. Thank you so much, Kevin and Dan. Thank you, Saruni Worship. We appreciate all of you.